Well, I invite you to turn to our passage this morning. It's printed out over on page 3, if you have your bulletin, or, or in 1 Corinthians 1, um, if you have your Bible. We're continuing our study of the book of 2 Corinthians. And we mentioned as we began uh, that there's this complicated history and relationship between Paul, the Apostle, and the Corinthian Church. And we are getting really into the details this week of, of what's going on. Uh, we're going to take some work to try to figure out what's actually happening, what's happened before, and what's happening now as Paul describes it. Uh, but what we're especially want to be focusing in on is how in the midst of all this challenging relationship between them, uh, Paul wants to focus our attention on Jesus. Uh, how he can't really talk about his relationship with the Corinthians without talking about Jesus. And we'll see how that fits together. See if you can listen for it as we, as we read. We're going to start at verse 12 in chapter 1, go all the way to chapter 2, verse 11. And now throughout our study of 2 Corinthians, we'll find Paul says a lot of strange things that are hard to unpack. Some of them we're going to take a lot of time to try to understand uh, we can't get to every little phrase because we'll be studying 2 Corinthians for years, uh, but, but uh, we'll try to really get the, the, uh, the highlights, the really key message of this passage. But first, let's read it. Uh, God's word from 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 12. For our boast is this, that the testimony of our conscience, uh, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Did I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and has also put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call to God, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? As I, wrote, I, wrote, as I did, 
so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it uh, not to me, but in some measure, uh, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. This is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. And indeed, uh, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Let's pray for, for God's wisdom. Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom and insight into this complex passage. Help us most of all to see the glory of your Son. And Lord, may that transform us more and more into his likeness. We do pray in his name. Amen. So think for a minute of a relationship in your life. A relationship, somebody you love, uh, but the relationship is complicated. It's just messy. Can, can, you, can you picture a relationship like that? Um, what is it that made it messy? Probably uh, there's a history of disappointments. Right? You felt like the other person let you down. They might feel like you, that you let them down. So kind of history of disappointments. Probably in the midst of that, there's some real sin. There were unhelpful uh, comments or hurtful words or, or lack of care. Somewhere in the midst of that, there was some real sin. There was probably also some real misunderstanding. Right? Somebody thought they were sinned against, but they really weren't. They just, you just misunderstood one another. Uh, you, you missed the situation. Probably there was also, as usually is the case in messy relationships, probably there's also a third party somewhere. Uh, some other person who's kind of making commentary and whispering about the details. You, you did see what they did to you, right? right? Are you just going to just take that? Uh, you just see what kind of person they are, right? right? Some kind of third person there uh, in the wings. You put all that together and relationships became, become really complicated and messy. Real affection... But at the same time, there's disappointment and sin and misunderstanding and, and whispering of a third party. You know, throw that all together and it gets messy. That's a good description of what's going on with Paul and the Corinthians. So, so we can relate. Uh, he has this relationship with them and there's real affection for one another. But there's all these other things going on. Uh, disappointment. Real sin. Real misunderstanding, and there's a third party whispering uh, in the background, making things more complicated. Uh, Paul is actually writing this letter to them, uh, in part to, to really address the, the tension, to move the reconciliation and healing 
uh, forward. It's a key part of why this letter is written uh, in the first place. So starting off, we can say, ah, we can connect with Paul. We can understand the situation. We, we, we live, okay, not identical situations, but, but something like that. Messy, complicated relationships. Uh, so we're going to be able to, to, to learn a little bit from Paul's wisdom in the, in the details. But especially what I hope we can see uh, is how Paul, in the midst of all that relationship challenge, wants to take us to Jesus. Uh, that he can't really deal with the messy relationship without talking about Jesus and how Jesus is really the hope. Uh, and that's what we need to, to, to wrestle with. How Jesus is, is the true and real hope for our relationships, yes, but even more, he's the hope for life, for eternity, the hope for the world. So we want to see Jesus uh, in the midst of some of the mess. Well, we're going we're gonna to really branch out from what's the, the key central verse in this passage. The key verse is really verse 20. Where Paul talks uh, about uh, uh, Jesus and says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So we're gonna, that's going to be our key verse, kind of branch out from there. So we want to talk about God's yes in Jesus. So first talk about the need for God's yes and the arrival of God's yes, and then the implications of God's yes. So first, the, the need for it. Uh, and, and here we need, to, we need to understand something of the history behind Paul and his relationship with the Corinthians. Uh, so that this, this, this goes back uh, a ways. Paul started this church in Corinth uh, in one of his early missionary journeys, something like five years before. Uh, and he spent about two years teaching them and building up the church, and then he went on in his missionary work. Uh, you might be familiar with the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul writing uh, to the Corinthian church, because he finds out there's some real, there's real sin in the church. And you might remember 1 Corinthians, Paul's trying to challenge them on divisions and sexual sin and, and misunderstanding and abusing gifts in the church, all these messy uh, sins in the church, and Paul's trying to get them to... Uh, to, to Pay attention and deal with the sin. Uh, well, we, we kind of get to infer from this and from other places what happens after 1 Corinthians. So try to follow. So Paul sends this letter, 1 Corinthians. He challenges them on their sin, but they don't respond well. They, they get a little offended at Paul and his, and his, and his uh, rebuke of them. And somewhere in the midst of this, uh, some other Christian leaders begin to arrive, Christian leaders. Uh, these other individuals who claim to be, uh, you know, they're as good as Paul. Actually, we're better, they claim. Uh, they're far more outwardly impressive. Uh, Paul's going to later in, in 2 Corinthians call them the super apostles. So these individuals that are marching in, begin to be that third party, uh, chattering in the background. Paul, he's nothing. He's not impressive. And look, He's not even treating you very fairly. So you have, you have the, the first Corinthians, the people are not responding well to it. You have these other leaders that are coming in and beginning to get sway. And Paul makes a visit to them after he finds out there's difficulty. He visits them. It's the visit he describes in chapter 2, verse 1, as the painful visit. He makes this painful visit. He arrives and finds out it's far worse than he thought. Uh, and, and, and instead of dealing with it right there, he just, he just withdraws, and kind of humiliation, uh, and kind of just shows mercy, doesn't really get into the details, 
Paul makes this painful visit, uh, but then quickly, quickly leaves. Instead, he deals with it through a letter. Uh, what, what he describes in verses two and, or 3 and 4, chapter 2, uh, is a letter he wrote in much anguish and with many tears. So we call it the, the tearful letter. Uh, it's a letter that we actually don't have. It's been lost to history. Uh, it shows up between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Paul writes this tearful letter to them, and that's where he addresses their sin. Uh, he's going to say later in, in uh, chapter 7 that it, his, his tearful letter causes them to be grieved, uh, but they are grieved to repenting. So the tearful letter uh, apparently works. They're, they're grieving over their sin, and they begin to turn, uh, turn from it. Uh, and so the relationship is improving. Uh, but it's not completely healed, and Paul is trying to improve and heal it more. Uh, there's still points of tension. Okay, so quick review of what's, what's, what's happening uh, in the history with the Corinthians. So stirred up by this agitation of these super apostles, uh, the Corinthians are rejecting Paul. They're sinning. Paul makes this painful visit and then withdraws. He sends them this tearful letter uh, rebuking them, and they seem to mostly respond, but there's still issues. And here's one of the issues uh, that really becomes the launching point for our passage. Uh, and that it shows up in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. Where Paul apparently uh, had intended to visit the Corinthians, but then he decides against it. Uh, he intends to visit them, and they know it, but then he decides against it. He actually sends the tearful letter instead. Uh, so this is the point of tension, that Paul apparently was going to come, and then he didn't. Verse 17, Paul says, Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, saying yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? So you can, you can start to picture what, what very well might be happening there, there in Corinth. With this history of, of tension, uh, Paul apparently is going to make this visit, but then he doesn't visit. And you can imagine what those rivals, what those super apostles are, are, are yammering about. Come on, you can't trust this guy. We've been telling you all along he's not impressive, and now he's just proven he's untrustworthy. He says one thing, and then he does another. He's like, yes, yes, and no, no. Uh, you can't trust this guy. Uh, he vacillates back and forth. He doesn't have integrity. You can't trust it. Um, it, it, it might not be exactly the same thing, but it made me think of that, that person we all know. Uh, you know, we, we all have know this kind of person. Uh, someone you see, and they're super, super friendly. Uh, and, you know, you, you might run into them somewhere out and about, and they're like, hey, yeah, it's been so long. It's so good to see you. Uh, great to, you know, we got to get together. Yeah, let's get together. We'll do that. We will definitely we'll do that. We'll get together. And, and you walk away, and you're thinking, they're never going to. They're just they're they're just saying stuff, right? Uh, right? Kind of they're they're kind of saying yeah yeah, but it's really kind of a no no. It's not it's not forthright. It's not upright. It's not honest. Uh, it's uh, it lacks integrity. You can't really trust uh, what they're saying. Um, that kind of that seems to be something of the accusation against Paul. What he says, verse seventeen, making plans according uh, according to the flesh. That kind of lack of integrity. Now, that's kind of how the, the world does relationships. 
right? It's kind of self-centered, uh, self-glorifying, not complete, not trustworthy or upright uh, kind of way of doing relationships. And apparently, uh, some in Corinth are saying, that's Paul. That's Paul. You can't, you can't trust him. Uh, you can't trust him. Now, Paul's going to explain uh, in the second part of the passage what he was really doing and why he was doing that. Uh, but, but, but first, uh, he's going he's gonna to go to Jesus. And so that's where we're going to go. But, but, but first, this, this initial opening point. We need to get the details of the relationship, but we also need to see the problem. Uh, the problem uh, is that in the midst of messy relationships, there is there's ugly sin. Uh, sin in all its sneakiness and destructive power and how it causes havoc in our relationships, our relationships to each other and our relationships uh, to God, uh, that even that, that misunderstandings, uh, even in that, there, there's, there's, there's bad, hateful motives behind it, uh, right? And, and in every messy relationship, uh, in one form or fashion, there underneath it, there's, there's sin, there's selfishness. You know, and it's not just it's not just out there what somebody else does. Um, I, I, I was thinking about this example about you know the guy who's always like yeah yeah, yeah let's get together and they, you know they're never going to call you. I, I was thinking about that and it was all of a sudden like oh I wonder if I do that sometimes. I wonder if I just say things in order to kind of look good, uh, but but it's not real love, but a lack of integrity. Paul wasn't doing that. But how often do we slip into that? Uh, or uh, on the on the, the Corinthian side, how, how often do we make false accusations against someone? We don't really understand. But here we are, we're offended anyway, like the Corinthians are, and it causes chaos in our in our relationships. See, that's the that's the that's the problem. There's sin in in right out there with them and, and with us too. It messes causes havoc in relationships, and of course there's an, an offense against God who made us and called us to reflect his, his love. Uh, so, so, so what hope is there? Uh, it, it's got to be something bigger than just, okay, let's have a few tips on how to have a good relationship. It's got to go deeper than that. And that's why Paul doesn't just give you give the Corinthians a, a, a few tips on how to sort things out. He says, no, we've got to talk about Jesus. Okay, let's talk about Jesus. Uh, what we could say, the arrival of God's yes. So you get the, the, the need for it, the depth of sin that causes a mess, uh, and you need this salvation, and now the arrival of it. Uh, it's, it's the core of the passage, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, uh, Silas, Timothy, and I, Jesus Christ was not yes and no, but in him always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So here's Paul. He's, right, his integrity has been questioned. Right? They're, they're saying, Paul, you don't have, you're not trustworthy. You're not a, a person of integrity. You're kind of doing this yes, yes, no, no, vacillating, can't trust you kind of thing. And, and Paul says, okay, let's talk about the message I proclaim. Let's talk about uh, about the the really what what the whole what I'm about. Let's talk about Jesus. And in Jesus, of course, God was speaking. It wasn't just Paul speaking. Uh, it was it was God speaking. God was speaking in His Son. 
and, and the question was, what was God saying in his son? Is it a trustworthy message? Was God in Jesus saying yes and no? Was, was, was God vacillating back and forth? Was God not really trustworthy, not really a person uh, of integrity? And Paul says, no, Jesus is God's great yes. And he explains what that means uh, by talking about the promises of God. Uh, so, so the promises of the Old Testament, right, throughout, throughout the pages of the Old Testament, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, go through all the big things, that Moses and Abraham and David and all the prophets, all the way up to Malachi, God making promise after promise after promise, uh, all wrapped up in saving a people to be his very own, uh, bringing forth a savior for sinners like us. Right, these, these promises of God. What do we do with all those promises of God? Right? Uh, what was God saying over those years? Was, was God like that guy we all know? Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get together. Was, was that God in his promises? Right? Oh, yeah, well, we will, I will definitely get around to saving you. Well, we'll definitely, definitely do that salvation thing. But you can't really trust him. Was that God in all those promises? And here... Paul says, no, in Christ, it's, it's always yes. It's God, absolutely trustworthy. He does it. He's accomplished it. All the promises, yes in Christ. Right? Go back. Go back to the garden where God promises uh, that there's going to be one who will break the curse. There's going to be one who crushes the enemy. What do we do with a promise like that? Well, in, in Jesus, God says, yes. Done. Promise to Abraham that, that Abraham's seed would be his precious, God's precious people, that all the nations of the world would be blessed uh, through Abraham's offspring. What do we do with that promise? Well, God says in Christ, yes. How about the promise uh, through the life of Moses? That, that someday there would be this greater Moses, uh, one who would who would rescue God's people out of slavery to sin and death and lead them into the eternal promised land? What does God say about that promise? Well, with the arrival of Jesus, it's yes. Or the promise uh, to David that there would be a king uh, on the throne from David's line who would rule forever, an eternal kingdom bringing love and righteousness uh, God promises that. What do we do with it? Well, in his son, God says, yes. How about Isaiah? Where, where God uh, there gives this promise that an unholy people is going to be made holy before a great God because a servant's going to come along who will suffer for sin uh, through his wounds will be healed. God makes that great, amazing promise. Uh, can we trust it? Well, in Christ, God says, yeah. And on we could go. Spend all afternoon going through the pages of the Old Testament, all the promises of God, all that, that are essential. What, what hope do we have? Uh, is God going to keep his word? Is he going to be someone trustworthy? Or is it just like, yeah, we'll do that? Not quite sure. Well, in Jesus, there's the, there's the guarantee. There's the finality of it. In Christ, it's all accomplished. In Christ, it is yes, yes, yes. And there's our hope. Uh, 
ultimately, that God is the trustworthy one. That God is the one of integrity. And his son is, it proves it, is the accomplishment of it. The call for us is, is to believe it, is, is to trust it. Uh, is to, you could use Paul's language and say, our task is to say the amen. Did you catch that in verse 20? Uh, Paul talks about, right, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why through him, we utter our amen to God for his glory. We utter the amen in response to Jesus. You know what amen means? Um, it's a Hebrew word, but it's what you'd say when, when you want to express hearty agreement. Uh, you want to declare, indeed, it's true. I believe it. Amen. Well, Paul says, all the promises of God, uh, trustworthy, accomplished, done in Christ, God says, yes, yes, yes. What do we do? We utter the amen. We say, yes, I, I believe it. I trust it. Indeed, it's true. Right? With our voices, sure. Amen. Uh, with our hearts, with our lives, uh, we utter that amen. Here is my hope. It's Christ and what he does. It's God's plan. His promise is accomplished. Uh, is, is, is that you? Uh, have, does, do you, are you uttering amen with your heart and with your life? Uh, that you see all that God has promised and accomplished in Jesus, and, and your response is, indeed, it's true, I trust it, it's my hope, it's all I got, and it's enough. Amen. Is that you? And Paul goes on to say, if, if, if you're responding and receiving this, then you're, that means you're safe. It's guaranteed. Right? Quickly, look at verse 22. Uh, there in verse 22, he says that, that God has put his seal on us, right? A seal, that's the, that's the mark of ownership, right? God saying, oh, oh yeah, this one, they're mine, right? Don't mess with them. Uh, they belong to me. A seal of ownership and protection. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who he goes on to say, is actually the, the guarantee of, of all of God's promises, of all of our inheritance. You know, how do we know uh, that God's really going to give us the fullness of our salvation. How do we know that the glories of the life to come, we can really trust that. Oh, oh, God says, yeah, here, have a have a down payment. Have a deposit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's guarantee for those who, who are in Christ, those who are trusting in him, those who, uh, even in weakness, say amen to God for uh, those promises accomplished in Christ. Trust in him. We are safe. We are marked as gods. Uh, we are uh, even have that down payment on eternity. The arrival of God's yes. And then we want to finally see the implications of this. Right? So there's a need. Uh, that's our sin. Uh, there's, the, there's the arrival of God's yes. That's Jesus and all he does, accomplishing all the promises. And then the implications of God's yes. Uh, remember where it is that Paul's saying this great stuff about Jesus. It's right in the midst of him trying to trying to heal his relationship with the Corinthians. Uh, and, and Paul's explaining, uh, ultimately, uh, why, why there can be healing. In part, he's explaining again why his actions towards them are, are, are trustworthy. 
Right? The Corinthians, remember, are, are, are tempted to believe that well, Paul's vacillating, Paul's not a person of integrity, Paul's making plans, and then he cancels it, Paul's, Paul's kind of yes and no, and Paul's going to explain, no, 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 you really, can, you really can trust it. He says, look at Jesus. Right? Look at him. In him, God is trustworthy. And now that, that good news of Jesus uh, that, that yes of Jesus, that trustworthiness of God, the ultimate integrity of God, that has so filled Paul uh, that, it's, that it's leaking out of Paul's pores into his relationship. This is why Paul, in, in ministering that message, says, this is why I'm coming to you, and I, I'm, I'm not yes and no, uh, because the gospel has so gripped him that it's, that it's leaking out. Right? He's, he, he's had God's integrity, God's trustworthiness, be his salvation and hope. And now he's, he's trying to walk in that and is walking in that more and more with his relationships. Uh, that's really the call for all of us, uh, right? God's yes is, is our hope and trust uh, in Christ. And then it begins to take over our lives more and more, uh, right? We're safe in God's salvation, forgiveness, our right standing with God, and all that good news so fills us. So, so through the Holy Spirit, now, it more and more seeps into our being and seeps out into our, into our relationships. Uh, so if, if God in the gospel is the ultimate of integrity, um, then the call for us is to have that leak out into our relationships. We, we walk in integrity uh, because we're strengthened by it uh, from within. What does that look like? Well, you could go to the passage and see how, how Paul's trying to live that out. Uh, you get some glimpses of of what the, uh, what the implications are, this in Paul's life. So uh, the beginning of the passage, verse 12, for example, Paul's speaking about uh, acting in simplicity and godly sincerity. In other words, Paul is, is truthful, he's honest, he's upright with the Corinthians. Uh, he's, not, he's not guided by what he calls earthly wisdom, uh, fleshly wisdom, Right? The, the kind of wisdom of the world that's kind of sneaky or tricky or, or self-serving or manipulative. Uh, why, is he, why is he trustworthy like that? Because that's God in the gospel. Uh, trustworthy, integrity, and that's taking a hold of Paul's heart, now it's, now it's leaking out. We're called to do the same thing. Uh, think about your relationships. Uh, how can, how can the, the gospel begin to leak out such that you desire, safe in Christ, to be upright and, and truthful and, and, and not, not manipulative or sneaky or, but, but, but with a, a sincerity uh, that really matches God and his relationship toward us. Uh, verse 24 is also helpful in terms of uh, this implication, this living it out. Uh, verse 24, again, Paul talking about his relationship with the Corinthians. He says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in the faith. So Paul says his, his, his relationship with the Corinthians, his ministry to them, uh, it wasn't his attempt to lord it over them, uh, to, to control them for his own selfish benefit. Uh, he says, no, 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 no. We were working for your joy. Right? Paul didn't make that visit that they had expected not because he was trying to manipulate them or lord it over them. He was actually thinking about their greater joy. He explains, right, if I'd come, it would have been another painful visit, so I didn't do it. 
Why was I changing plans, not selfishly or manipulatively? I was working for your joy, he says. Not lording them over, over them. You can see where he gets that from. Because that's how, that's how God treats us in Christ. All right? He doesn't lord it over us, but works for our joy. We essentially read Jesus saying that, that very thing from, uh, from Mark's Gospel. Right? Jesus saying uh, that he came... Uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a, a, a ransom. And Jesus doesn't arrive all right, to, 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 to manipulate or trick or, or, or glorify himself. He arrives to give, right, to give his very life so that we might have eternal joy. And Paul's trying to live that out. Now, and, and, and we're trying to live that out. There, there's a great description of, of what, what the call is to be a good, a good Christian friend, especially any kind of Christian leader. Right? So if you have any kind of leadership role, church or home or really anywhere, here's a great, here's a great job description uh, for a um, you know, Christian elder, deacon, parent, husband, mentor, you, you name it, Sunday school teacher. Here's a great job description uh, that you are not to lord it over them, but work for their joy. There's a great job description. Not lord it over them, but work for their joy. Yeah, because that's that's Christ. Uh, that, that's God's work, and, and it so grips us that it's to leak out. Um, now, it doesn't mean we don't do hard things or address sin. Right? Paul is a great example of that. Uh, here, here, Paul actually is addressing their sin. Right? He did it. He did it. Uh, through that tearful letter, uh, he, he is most definitely, a, you know, being truthful about what's causing havoc in their lives. Uh, but it, but it's not. It's so so. This love and working for joy isn't just well. You be nice and you pretend sin isn't there. No, actually, quite the opposite. You you, you address the needs and the root uh, problems that are there. Uh, but you don't do it in a way to lord it over someone or to, or to kind of twist the knife. Uh, you're addressing sin in order to work for their joy because you're not helping them uh, if, if sin is just ignored. Uh, we could, if we had time, we could dive into that last part of the passage, verses 5 to 11. There Paul talks about uh, a, a discipline case in Corinth. Apparently someone is engaged in some graphic sin and, and the church has tried to, tried to address it because it's public and there's kind of a, a church discipline type situation. So you see a good example. Paul is affirming that, like you did the right thing. Uh, right? you, you actually addressed the sin. Apparently it worked. Uh, and now Paul is saying, uh, he's saying, well, well, don't overwhelm that person. right? Uh, don't overwhelm them with sorrow, but forgive and comfort them. Right? It's a good example of Paul saying, we have to work for their joy. right? Not lord it over them. Uh, right? not, not, not trying to manipulate or, or crush what you, you address sin in order to, in order to work uh, for their joy, again, uh, because it's God's love taking, taking over uh, in our lives. Uh, and it informs how we, how we care for one another, even when love gets a little tough, because it actually means to uh, address hard things. Uh, so our relationships then are an opportunity for our hope in the gospel uh, to get lived out in everyday life. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to, to remind ourselves of, of the good news, uh, that in Christ, all the promises are, are accomplished, 
They're done. Uh, God did it in his son. It's God's great yes. Uh, God is trustworthy. Uh, that in, in Christ, uh, we have everything we need. In Christ, we're safe. We're actually sealed uh, as, as God's and protected. Have that down payment, that deposit on the, the eternal glory. And so we're so safe and so filled with that, uh, that integrity of a promise-keeping God that we're actually then freed up in our relationships. We don't, we don't need to manipulate. Uh, we don't need to find sneaky ways to exalt ourselves because we're safe in Christ. And we're actually free to, to serve. We're free to work for another's joy. Uh, all because of Christ. All because of the promises in him are, are yes, done, accomplished. God trustworthy. He does it. We're safe in him. And now, now we can rest in it and know it, be, know it better, even as we love those around us as God has loved us. Well, let's ask for God's strength in doing that. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to, to know you better, to know the glory of your, uh, your son and his work for us. And then, Lord, to have that good news really, really take hold uh, so that we can, we can love the people you put around us, even, even those messy relationships that there can be healing uh, and reconciliation and, 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 and love, uh, Lord, uh, appropriately uh, because of Christ, even as sin is addressed and dealt with. Give us the wisdom and the details. Give us, uh, give us your heart, uh, all because of Jesus, we pray. Amen.